Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 57, Permanent Wave. Hey, Frank! I swept the floor and took out the trash. Uh, can I go to Phil's for some candy? Sure. Really? Yeah. All right. Where's Kyle? <laughs> he went to uh, Bill's to get some candy. You mean Phil's? I'm sorry, Phil. Frank, are you crazy? Laura never lets him go out alone. Why not? Ah! Oh, boy. I saw a man shoot Phil. What? I was in the pharmacy and a man came. Shh. Shh. I saw the man who shot Phil. Weren't you with him? No, I let him get some candy. I. I... You swore to me you wouldn't let him out of your sight. He wanted to get some candy. I, I thought it would be no, okay. No, he I'm... didn't think. I told you he isn't allowed out alone. Saw the killer. He's got to give the police a description. Not unless you tell them he was a witness. Other people had to see him go in there. I'll tell them it was some other little boy, not mine. I've been through this once before. I can't go through it again. Nobody likes to get involved with a murder case, but other than the little boy, you're the only one that I can place at this shooting. Besides Phil Hartman, and he's not talking. Yeah, and I'm assuming that. Due to my timing, I didn't leap in to stop Phil's murder. Yeah, no, but Ziggy says it's 86% you're here to find the killer. Well, I, I didn't see him, but I think Kyle did. No, according to police reports, he never identified the That's murderer. because his mother never let him talk to the police. Well, she never had a chance. They murdered her, too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And Allison, what was that all about? That, that was exciting. I was just doing a goofy voice. I'm, I'm picking up the energy, you know, <laughs> getting into the groove. Getting into the wave. The, the wave, that's right. Yeah, catch the wave. <laughs> stand up and do the wave. Everybody stand up. It's kind of hard. We're across country. It's going to take a while to go around and around. So this is an audience participation thing, too. It's like hands across America, waves across the podcast world. So, <laughs> so if you listeners haven't figured it out, we have come to the season four episode, Permanent Wave. And if season four is consistent for anything, it's, it's the tonal shifts between episodes yes. because- we're, we're sort of back to lighthearted quantum leap fare. 
this time around, especially coming off of Justice, which was such a heavy episode. And uh... Let's hope we continue to have a lighthearted episode next week. But I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. We're in a string of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Permanent Wave does have the virtue of having a lot of lighter moments, and um, I, I, I came to this episode thinking it was one thing because, as usual, everyone just I'll just start playing a pre-recorded message. I haven't watched this one in years, maybe since it first <laughs> aired. There, that's out of the way, and the episode I remembered wasn't the episode that I watched. So I'm curious to know what you guys think about it, and. I have good things to say about the episode. I have bad things to say about the episode, but uh, I want to get your initial impression. So, Allison, tell us your initial impressions of Permanent Wave. Well, I love me an action episode. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I like this one. I think it's fun. It's not uh, perfect like any episode, really, but uh, I think it's great. I, I have a lot of fun watching this one. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I love this one as well. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's got the the father son subplot, which always I, I always love a bit of that. And it's set in the eighties. Quantum Leap so rarely does eighties, and it does it so well this week. Um, so a, a bit of nostalgia for the younger fans. Uh, yeah, great, great episode. You know, it it reminds me slightly of a uh, Piano Man in some <laughs> of the plot elements, and that one yeah. was also set in the eighties. Yes. It doesn't really mean anything, just a note. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when I watched it, I was thinking, "Why? why h- hello, season two, where have you been? I mean, g- glad you came back to visit. Pull up a chair, yeah. let's catch up. A hairdresser, you say? <laughs> and gunplay, car chases, and a twist? <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> it is very much, I think, a situational leap and a throwback to a lot of the structure of the earlier leaps that we saw in the series. And um, I don't know that that's a bad thing. It was just a little bit jarring after a lot of sort of the nuanced episodes and heavy episodes and uh, I guess sci-fi heavy episodes that we've been getting since the end of season three. And just to see a straight up action episode, like you said, Allison, it was it was almost nostalgic for me. It had nothing to do with the 80s, Matt, although I guess that, that might have played hmm. into it too, because what was this, 83? This was set? Sounds about right. So, and how old was uh, how old was we Joseph Gordon Levitt in this episode? Oh, I don't know, but so we, <laughs> so we. We don't know offhand how old he was. All right, IMDb. Are you IMDbing? Uh, let's see. The episode was 1991, and Joseph Gordon Levitt was born 81, so he was 10 years old. Aww. Oh, I didn't even realize he was even that young. I knew he was about my age, give or take a year. I still think of us both as children. Oh, man. He, he was good in this. I mean, like, yeah, child yeah. actors can vary, but you can tell the, that he was going to go on and do stuff as an adult and, and still yeah. be successful. He looks like a teeny tiny Bruce Willis here already. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Looper reference for you kids out there. Now I'm not showing his age. Looper is a time travel movie from the aughts. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to agree with you guys. That's a, a big part of my notes was Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Kyle. I think that, you know, he was really good. And it's funny because he's the center of the episode, but the episode really wasn't about him. Uh, not so much anyway. And I think it was it worked because he wasn't asked as a child actor to carry more than he could handle. 
and he was fine. He did fine with what he was given. So I think that this this one could have gotten into a real pitfall of a lot of bad kid acting. And I know Matt, you are unmerciful when it comes to you know lambasting those poor kid actors. What? <laughs> Where did I get this reputation from? You heard you heard it here. Matt does not like children. <laughs> well, that's true. But uh, no, um, and and like you say, due credit to um to Joseph Gordon-Levitt for being good here. And he clearly had an actor's director to work with. And who was that? <gasps> well, I think it might have been our very own Scott. Oh, that's right. Scott was the director of Ooh. this episode. This was his first thing he ever directed, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I think he's only ever directed um, a few Quantum Leaps and then one other thing. And this was the first thing that he directed. I could see some things about the direction here. Um, because I knew uh, Scott Bakula directed this, I was really paying attention to it versus some other episodes where I, I don't pay as much attention to to what's going on behind the scenes. But I think, like, it was really interesting how he shot this. Um, for instance, the scenes where uh, Kyle is hiding out in the cabin. He has, like, a, a Dutch angle from below uh, mm. when Kyle is watching his mom and there's no sound coming out from from her, uh, from seeing her through the window. Um, seeing his face through the curtains uh, when he's watching or the silhouette in the door with the branches, those were all very interesting. And um, there was one shot in particular uh, when Sam is giving the woman the haircut that he doesn't actually give her. Uh, it transitions from him doing that to walking over to the twins to uh, leading them into the back. And that entire scene is just one continuous shot for like two minutes. Oh, I didn't spot that. So uh, what do they call that again? Uh, they call it one continuous shot. Yeah, oh. no, they call that a tracking shot, I believe. And <laughs> I think it went on even longer than that, actually. But they cut away to some reactions from Al because you wouldn't be able to see it, see it with him... Uh, flirting with the twins right what i love about that is a lot of i think directors try to make their mark with at least one good tracking shot yeah because i think it was hg hg listen to me hg wells <laughs> orson wells did a famous tracking shot in the beginning of one of his movies it was called touch of evil and since then it's it's sort of been like a gold standard i think it had charlton heston as a mexican in it okay now i notice tracking shots because of that because it's such a quote big deal to the point where if you look at the beginning of the movie firefly that's all one giant tracking shot if you look there's an episode of always sunny in philadelphia told from the point of view of the character charlie that is just one continuous take it's it's an oh, amazing yeah. episode yeah, that one's great and it's just it, it's the kind of thing that i usually notice but i didn't notice it here and maybe because it's not in any kind of dynamic circumstance, it's just tracking back and forth in the salon, was that... I think maybe that was just Scott Bakula being ambitious. I think maybe he was trying stuff out because he was a first-time director, uh, which doesn't mean it was bad, but means, like, you know, the the long tracking shot wasn't really in service of anything. Right. But it was very interesting. Yeah, I, I was going to say... I think a, a lot of what you've just touched on, Alison, and, and not just the tracking shot, but the other elements as well, it does sound very much like first-time director trying hard to, to try out some stuff. And it's all fine, and it's good, and it's well-directed, but um, when you start pointing it out, it becomes quite obvious that 
bless him. Yeah, he's he's excited to get behind the camera and he's he's doing some cool stuff. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. And I noticed yeah, yeah, too, yeah. like um, they got a little sillier with the hologram effects in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like uh, Al going through the floor, so his head's just mm-hmm. halfway yeah. through it looking around. Or even when he uh, when he goes out of the floor, um, he presses some buttons in the hand link and then uh, uh, elevates through the floor. He does mm-hmm. like this little spinning thing through a glass case as if like his his image is redirecting around and not just him walking mm-hmm. they, they were trying some things right it's like he's redirecting the hologram around himself while staying still i think that's a real neat touch because you very seldom get the set from quote al's point of view so to have him quote stationary while everything's moving around him is I think that's mm. maybe the first time we've seen that in the series. And I don't know, was was that Scott? Was that the writer, Beverly Bridges, that wrote that in that way? Was it a collaboration? But it was one of the neater touches. And it's funny you guys were talking about uh, Scott being first time because with those Dutch angles, with that tracking shot, I think everything was in service to the story and nothing was distracting. Sure. And I've seen too much TV recently, especially if anyone's been watching Star Trek Discovery, which just wrapped its second season. The camera work has gotten so distracting on that show because it's always swooping in and upside down and it's like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And it's just moves for the sake of moves. I think everything Scott did here felt organic to the episode because I didn't notice any of it. It was just there on screen. Yeah, all of that stuff he was doing uh, with the scene with Kyle in the cabin by himself was all to set an atmosphere. It was uh, different than the rest of the episode to show that there's tension or or something uneasy going on. Hmm. I also noticed, too, in this episode, it seemed like Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell were doing more improvisational stuff or like playing off of each other looser in the scenes. It seemed like Scott was allowing Dean to be a little goofier with some scenes with him. Well, that's one of the strengths I thought that this episode had was because even though I was making fun of it being sort of like a season two episode, it had a lot of really good meta moments that you wouldn't have been yeah, able I their to interactions. do. Yeah, in season two, they still establishing the relationship. And this one, again, it's just that, as I said at the beginning of season four, it's that more comfortable Sam. And I guess the relationship between Sam and Elsa established now that they're just much more shorthand with each other and much more comfortable just ripping on each other. Even though, you know, there's a murderer lurking somewhere in the wings, Sam is giving Al the business um, <laughs> with, with kissing the twins and bringing them in the back. And I thought that was that was a nice little touch. <laughs> so why don't you ladies get out of those clothes, slip into some robes, we'll wash you, we'll rinse you, and I'll think up something really nasty for your hair. <laughs> I'm You're drooling. Why are you doing this to me? I never had my own little set of twins. <laughs> because you deserve it. Huh? You nag me if I don't resist women, and you You're nag me if I do resist You're doing this to torture me. Yes. <laughs> and it's working. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you could have really had that in, in season two. I feel like a lot of the strength of this episode is down to the fact that these guys have found a groove together. And it works really, really well. It's just the chemistry is undeniable. And there are other little touches with the guest cast, but we we can get to that. But if you guys want to keep on with the Sam and Al stuff, because I think that was sort of at the center of what otherwise might have been a pretty perfunctory episode, don't you think? 
Well, I mean, like, um, the plot could be the best thing in the world, but if you don't have the characters to back it up, it's just going to be not much. So I think, like, even if you don't like the plot, and I do like the plot, um, you still have Sam and Al's stuff. Yeah. Uh, They seem very comfortable with each other. Uh, I liked lots of little things you might not notice, too, like uh, when Sam and Kyle are doing the Future Boy stuff, which was a great callback. I loved, loved that. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's cute. Begin the countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Goodbye, future boy. Five, four, three. Get ready to leap. Two, one, zero. You can even see, like, Al in the background, like, half-heartedly sort of mimicking the signs with them. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I just love that when the fist's over the head and then the, you know, the arms <laughs> out to the to the belt. And that I thought was one of the greatest parts of the episode. And again, something you couldn't have done earlier on. And what it evoked in me was sort of a memory of Sam as Jimmy telling Corey the story of Star Wars. <laughs> but now he's had so much of his own adventures yeah. that he doesn't have to rely on other adventures. He can he can tell his story. And I thought that that was like a weird meta in universe. Future Boy is is a TV show, though. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 so leap centric. I mean, that's a, a quantum leap creation. Sure. So uh, what I meant by this, it's it's meta. Now the show has its own mythology, and Sam can play with it. Yeah, and it's it's nice to get some of that continuity in that the viewers have because Sam is so Swiss cheesed all the time that you don't get a lot of that in the show. It's not built for that. So when they do do these callbacks, I think that they're really great little fan moments. Hmm. When uh, when Sam's telling Kyle the story of Future Boy's best friend, Al, uh, and Al says, best friend? Oh, thanks. I was like, <laughs> what? has Sam not called him his best friend before? <laughs> Is this the first time? It's like he's used the L word for the first time. Are we really? How long have they known each other? <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready to say it back yet. Best friend. Don't you mean only friend? I mean, he's the only, he's the only constant <laughs> yeah. in the guy's life. It's just, yeah, it was... Maybe Sam just hated him before leaping. He's like, I hate that Al guy. <laughs> oh, now they're best friends. <laughs> Swiss cheese that he hated him. I like the detail too. Um, there, there was the bit where um, they're investigating uh, Phil Hartman's shop, and uh, Al is talking about money and shoes. He says he used to put money in his shoes when he was on Liberty, in case he got three sheets to the wind, and talks about his uh, third father-in-law owning a funeral parlor. Yeah, it was really interesting. I love when they throw in little details like that. And again, it's another way that the episode gives more to the fans than the plot does. It's it's just these little asides that are the most memorable things about it, in my opinion. Um, because there are some real clunky aspects to this episode. And just because you, you brought it up, Allison, I wanted to talk about this. I mean, the clunkiest of clunky clues in this entire <laughs> series, <laughs> I think. Oh. Not, if not, if not just this episode, but I think this entire series was the penny loafers. Yeah. There are actual pennies in his penny loafers, how is how is Kyle going to see the money in his shoes if it's a penny? It's not like a dollar bill sticking out of his shoes. I mean, you you would think the kid would probably say it was a penny if he noticed it, there was a penny instead of money. No one sees a penny and says, that's money. They just say it's a penny. <laughs> no one thinks a penny's is money. <laughs> Were penny loafers a thing in the 80s? 
like with people actually putting pennies in them. See, I don't know that anyone ever did put pennies in penny loafers. I don't know why they're called that. Well, that's why they're called penny loafers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently they did, but it was like, hang on, I'm looking at a Wikipedia article at the moment. This... Yeah, okay, let's get a brief history of penny loafers. Everybody stand by. Yeah. Penny loafers. Teach us, Matt. Cue the educational music. There was a style created in 1936 that was called the penny, bit specifically because people used to put pennies in them um, to use for payphones. So it, it was a thing in 1936. That that would have been before the detective was even born. Yeah, for sure. I understand. Okay, like maybe the penny loafers were a novelty because they're slide on. So you can easily stick your finger down in the side as opposed to tie-on shoes or boots that you might have had in that period, but I... See, I remember when I was growing up, uh, generally hearing about penny loafers when making jokes about old people. Old people wear penny loafers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was still a style in the 80s. Perhaps he was into a retro thing. I don't know. But there were there were again going back to the educational there there were loads of different types of loafer throughout the first half of the 20th century which yeah as time went on old people will have had but that the the penny loafer was one of the earliest types other types of loafer succeeded it so but they still existed. They existed, but they were they actually already been superseded by other types of loafer. So, so you're saying he had an outdated loafer? <laughs> yes, as if having a loafer wasn't outdated enough. He specifically had an outdated type of loafer and was specifically using it to put a penny in. It's, what if he had a just... payphone he had to get to when he's doing his crimes? <laughs> Like, oh no, I just murdered someone. I gotta go call Chloe. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the guy's driving the car, and Al looks down at the gas pedal. Why? And he sees a penny on top of the guy's <laughs> shoe, and that's how he puts it all together. He calls like, him flat foot or yeah. something. Freaking pennies. Yeah, because he's trying, he's trying to encourage him to push the push his foot down and that's why he's focusing all the energy on the foot it yeah it's a string of very bad coincidences that gets us through this plot take your flat foot and your penny loafer off the gas put on the brake take your flat foot and your penny kyle said the killer hid money in the shoe yes very very contrived Look, that's not even that's not even the clunkiest thing in this episode. <laughs> okay, the clue the clue that really gets me. Enoch? <laughs> yeah, they're like Phil was selling drugs to pay off his debts. He was getting money from a group called Elock. Wait a minute. <laughs> that's Chloe. <laughs> is this clever? Elock. Elock is an anagram for Chloe. How could we have missed that? How could Ziggy have we can't all be geniuses. See, this is what I'm trying to figure out with. I'm trying to figure out a lot of stuff in this episode. But all right, now, okay, so let's go with Chloe. I mean, so if Chloe is behind this all along and was planning to off at least Kyle, why wait for Sam to set things in motion? Why doesn't she? She knows where they are at all times. And mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of, and it really doesn't even track with this, is that she needs distance and some kind of plausible deniability so that she could stay with Frank and keep selling the drugs to his clients. But, I mean, what 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 the hell is Elok? Well, she also, like, she was never seen. She wasn't there. Uh, the detective, um, what's his face? Detective Ward. 
he was the one that shot uh, uh, Phil Hartman. So she wasn't in the picture at all. Like she could have gone on like Kyle didn't need to be killed because he didn't he wouldn't have seen her there. She wasn't there. No, no, I understand that. But if she's the one that's calling that I'm confused about the detective, too. Is he a cop? Is he a hitman? Is he a hitman posing as a cop? Is he a cop that, that does hits on the side? He's a corrupt cop that sold drugs. And then when uh, Phil stopped selling them, then he was offing him. Chris, you clearly haven't watched enough 80s films. <laughs> Look, a corrupt cop. Like, just assume it's a corrupt cop. <laughs> All right, I just I was so confused. Well, this was a rare instance of two villains, wasn't it? They don't usually have two of them. There's usually just, like, one suspect and that's it. Oh, yeah, that was the, there was a genuine twist at the end there. Yeah, that, that, that got me, too. And then I thought about it. Elok, what is that? Like, is that, is, did she incorporate? Is that is that trademarked? I mean, <laughs> if you're if you're selling drugs and you're trying to come up with a code name that's not yours, why would it why would it be a, a what what do you call it when you mix up the letters? An anagram. An anagram. Why would you do an anagram of your own name? That's just dumb. If the cops weren't in her pocket, then she would have been caught immediately. Is it a palindrome too? <laughs> I don't know. No, palindrome is when you say the same thing backwards, like race car. I'm just thinking of an old Monty Python bit. Oh, I see. When they said, uh, Bolton, Bolton, it's a palindrome. And he says, the palindrome of Bolton is not lob. So I'm thinking... <laughs> <laughs> so the palindrome of Chloe is Elok. Yeah. I just said, but that was a genuine twist to me because in my mind, I remembered this again because I was hearkening back to season two and I, I hadn't seen it in so long. I remembered it, the, like sort of the mob aspect of it. And I thought that the mom and the kid were still running from the mob because she saw, and that's problematic in and of itself as well. We'll get to that. So the fact that Chloe was behind it the whole time was a genuine twist to me. I completely forgot about that aspect of it. I thought once the cop was gone, that was the end of it. So when she pulled the gun, I was like, oh, wow. That surprised me. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that actress, too. She was fun. Her name is Leela Ivy. And she was also in Genesis. Oh, yeah. what was she in Genesis? She was in the pilot as one of the uh, the pregnant ladies that hangs out with Peg. One of the pregos with the radios in the background. I see. Yes. <laughs> the important thing. I like the bit where uh, Chloe, like, they're in the car, and Al is uh, next to them with the rear projector, and... Uh, and uh, so Sam's having this conversation between Chloe and Al at the same time. And she admits that she lied about her age. And uh, he finds out some, like, terrible information. He's like, oh, my God. And she thinks that, like, that's just a reaction to her age. <laughs> it's not that bad. Sam! The cop shot Phil. What? My age, I can't afford 10 years. Detective Ward. How'd you find out? I lied about my age. He was wearing penny loafers. I'm really 33. Penny loafers? Yeah, pennies, pennies. Remember the penny you found on the drugstore floor came out of his penny loafers? So whoever Phil was supplying drugs to must have paid Ward to knock him off. Oh my God. What, isn't that bad? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, they they don't do those whole dual conversations too often at the moment, but that's that was a classic. Yeah, and they had like Al uh, jumping from car to car between all these different plot things going on. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I wonder if that was again Scott as director trying to show his chops not only like artistically, but in so much as like w- what works in this show, what are the fans like, and sort of those dual conversations have been a staple of the show. So maybe he's thinking, I'm going to do the best dual conversation. That you've ever seen. And this one was was less less clunky than some of them have proved to be because a lot of times Scott has to pause very awkwardly 
for for it to work in the scene when if you think about the person just listening to him organically there's just a lot of weird silence yeah yeah if you just cut out al's dialogue it would be very weird so i think that this one it wasn't so obvious to to the person who doesn't have the point of view that we do and I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked pretty well, even though, again, this is like another trope of the show. It's sort of like the car chase and Al popping back and forth between both cars. Very Piano Man, for sure. <laughs> yeah, one thing I wondered about was um, why was Detective Ward not talking to Laura? Like he always goes to Sam to talk about her kid, even though they live in the same place. Like it's she. He always goes and talks to her boyfriend, but he's not Kyle's dad. I was wondering that myself, but the thing is, Laura was staying willfully silent, so it was just an easier route to maybe get to her. But he never. But he never even went to her. He would always be like, "Hey, mm-hmm. hairdresser, come bring the kid in." Like, what's well, not even his kid? <laughs> so why don't you talk to the mom about this? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> Matt, thoughts? <laughs> I think it's a feminist commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Beckett, feminist. Now you've solved it. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Question answered. Let's move on, Allison. Now, go ahead. <laughs> what else? Why, why don't they call the police at the end about two dead bodies, too? <laughs> why are they staying in the cabin overnight? There's two dead bodies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Do they not have a phone. I was gonna save this for maybe they didn't have a phone. It's the '80s. It's a cabin in the they woods. They needed a penny. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> all the pennies are gone. Not using it anymore. <laughs> go fish it out of the lake. <laughs> but that was one of the most sort of jarring twists in the episode. Tonally, it was just like, yeah, I just killed two people. I mean, I just murdered two people. Well, I guess it's not <laughs> murdered, but hey, let's get married. Oh, yay! Okay. It's like, <laughs> uh, technically, okay, Laura murdered one person. No, wait, no, Sam murdered one person, and then, um, yeah, I forgot how it happened. Sam murdered one person, and then Chloe, Elock, was the one who killed uh, Detective Ward. Uh, That's yeah. right, and then he had to kill Chloe. Yeah. No! Who made me do this? But that shows you how memorable that bit of it was. I mean, that was all, again, that was sort of like the action thriller boilerplate at the end. You needed some gunplay. And just hearing those shots ring out in the leap in, I knew where we were going with this episode. I knew it was going to be sort of like a quintessentially 80s style episode, mm-hmm. even though it was airing in 1991. It reminded me of something like a Stephen J. Cannell production, just sort of that adventure of the week series like a hardcastle and mccormick or you know name any 80s show here that was an hour long about a cool car can we talk about laura for a second here because since you bring it up, where was she when the detective was talking to Sam? But what the hell are her motivations? It's so convoluted. And I don't know if this is a weakness of the writing or what, but so her husband was killed for agreeing to testify in a mob murder, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's yeah. the story. So so what is she? Is she on the run? Is she hiding from the mob? No, she's just um, scared because of experience. She doesn't want to get involved with another case like this because... 
it happened before where her husband was killed. She doesn't want her son to be murdered as well. Yeah, but then why is she keeping Kyle housebound? Like, they yeah. leap in saying, you know she never lets him go anywhere alone. So does the kid go to school? What is she worried about if the trial is over? Why is the kid a prisoner in his own home? Yeah, because she doesn't want him to witness something else and something like that to happen, which is what happened when Sam let him go off on his own. What are the odds of somebody <laughs> getting murdered next to a beauty salon in Beverly Hills? It's not <laughs> rational. It's fear. <laughs> Chris... As this episode shows, one in one. That's the odds. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think it, the way they introduce the characters at the start, I thought they were still on the run. Yeah. And then it becomes yeah. clear that, oh, actually, they're, they're not. She's just really overprotective. But to, to quite an irrational point. Yeah, not ever letting him out. Like you say, how does he get to school? Homeschooling? Chloe homeschools him while she's selling drugs. She's overprotective of him because of what happened. And also he's got his leg in a brace. And so she's also wanting to protect him because she doesn't think he's that strong, maybe. Yeah. yeah maybe. I mean, was that, that's, the brace is an interesting wrinkle because it's not like he was injured by the mob or anything like that. They don't, they don't really tell you, do they? I don't even, if they did, I don't remember it. But the brace just was. It wasn't a plot point. It wasn't so much like uh, that they, they had to explain it. It was just part of who Kyle was. And I like the fact that they sort of worked it into the end with the Special Olympics yeah, yeah. and all that. And it, it was I, – I think it still is very rare these days if you see somebody with some kind of disability on a television show where that doesn't become the focus of at least a scene. Mm. And in this, it's just part of who he is, and it's not really commented on. Yeah. And it's weirdly progressive, for especially for the era, especially for Quantum Leap. A lot of Quantum Leap was about um, pointing out people who are different and sort of a journey to accepting those differences. And that it's kind of a cornerstone of the show. So to have this as just part of the episode and not make it a thing made it all the more obvious to me. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. But, I mean, it, it's just, again, one of those uh, – an episode full of strengths and weaknesses in, in many odd ways. I, I think that Laura's backstory might be it just it's such a TV trope. I mean, how many people do you know who are on the run from the mob or have witnessed a mob hit or – I mean, it, it's just – it's drama for the sake of drama. Well, I don't think that this was convoluted or unrealistic, like – implausible can we go with implausible anytime okay think about this anytime that there is say a, a murder in a neighborhood and the police are trying to talk to the people around even if they have witnessed something they do not want to be involved even people who have, haven't had anything happen to them don't want to be involved because there's a very real fear of retaliation uh, by the people who committed the murder and because it happened to her before um, she has all the more reason to be frightened that this would happen again and overprotective of her child. Very true. I, I mean, I guess it just seemed to me to be like sort of TV drama background. I suppose. I suppose that's the plot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, is that what that's called? That's called plot? <laughs> teach me, Allison. Teach me. Sorry. Am I, am I fighting? <laughs> what? I don't want to sound combative. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. You're just pointing out the obvious, which is actually hilarious. 
<laughs> hey, I got I got something I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to mention. I just want to express some appreciation for Scott Bakula's leather pants. Ooh. <laughs> Don't we all? I hope that he made that conscious decision. I hope he's like, yes, this is what I will be dressed in in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to do the 80s Beverly Hills hairdresser thing, you might as well do it all the way. Uh-huh. When he was tonic, he wore all the spandex. Mm-hmm. So why not as Frank wore all the leather? You know, he's got the Jim Morrison vibe going on there. Scott loves dressing up. <laughs> Scott loves dressing up. All right, so let me ask you. I mean, are, are leather pants a particularly good look on dream boats like Scott Bakula, Allison? Thoughts? Comments? Why, why do you only direct that at Allison? Oh, sorry, Matt. What are your thoughts <laughs> Matt? vis-a-vis uh, leather pants? Uh, Scott, we didn't get enough shots of his butt. They did have some close-ups. They did, like, he, he puts his butt right but in front enough. of the camera when he's, like, <laughs> when he's walking in front of Kyle to ask him a very serious question, like, close-up of Kyle, and then Scott Bakula butt waves across the screen. Yeah, I have freeze frames. Here's what I'll say <laughs> about the leather pants in this episode. Uh, I do appreciate them, though they are not the greatest fit of leather pants. Uh, they're a little bit uh, saggy in some places. So no no offense to Jean-Pierre. I don't know if these are the best leather pants ever made, but but I appreciate them all the same. <laughs> so do we think that these were off the rack? Maybe. Perish the thought. No, you say not that well fitted, so... They don't seem because I know I know Jean Pierre knows leather. I know he knows leather stuff. He did like a lot of uh, post apocalyptic Mad Max style kind of uh, leather outfit. So I know he knows how to make things with them or with faux leather. Uh, but this uh, I, I don't know was the the tightest fit. So we're looking we're looking for a film made that year by the same studio with somebody roughly Scott's size wearing leather. Possibly. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm on it. All right, Matt, we're going to call this Leathergate. What? <laughs> <laughs> this ties into the whole um the whole characterization they do with Frank that he is this Lothario hairdresser that gets with all mm. of the ladies. Um and I always wondered if this is like a legit thing from that time or just a TV thing because like in the hairdressing community for women generally not always guys are gay they're not usually womanizers i would think like a lot of barbers are straight but like for, with women it generally tends to be gay guys but yet when you see it on TV it's almost always this like womanizing sexy straight guy huh. well speaking from personal experience or personal secondhand experience i know that uh, my wife used to go to a salon where the guy was infamous for his dalliances with clients and staff oh. so it's not beyond the pale okay but I, I think you're right, Allison. And I thought that it was sort of weird that they presented Frank that way because obviously it was all, all an act because he was in a committed relationship with Laura, with Kyle. and Or maybe he wasn't that committed. We, we don't know. He's going to arrive back to find, what? I'm, I'm engaged now? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I didn't want this. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say that when Sam was being apparently dedicated to the both of them and genuine it didn't seem like a 180 to them it seemed like that's the way it had always been with you know in terms of the relationship between kyle and frank always seemed to be like a nurturing sort of father-son kind of thing based on what we saw it wasn't like she said to him wow you're suddenly so good with him what, what's this about you know or it wasn't some kind of weird turn in his personality it just seemed to be business as usual 
So it, it, it leads me to infer that that's the way Frank normally is with them. So to put it now with the whole comedy bit with the twins and everybody just coming to him because he's just such a sex pot. Okay, well, which is it? <laughs> he's just too sexy. <laughs> well, you saw the mirror image, Allison. What was that hair like, that perm? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. It was, that was a very 80s hair, and I, I don't know. I guess that was cool then. I think that was more late 70s. I mean, that was like a straight-up Greg Brady perm. That's a uh, William Katz hair. <laughs> Is it Cat? Katz? I always Kat. say it wrong. Anyway, two greatest American hero. Cat like Kit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do, you know, when, when your wife has gone to these fancy salons, because I haven't really been to a lot of fancy ones... Um, do women wear tiny robes to get their hair cut? I don't think so. Because usually, like, they have, like, the, they have the, the, the thing they put on you to, like, protect your clothes, but it's never, like, you have to change. I, I really don't know. I mean, I guess that maybe that is a thing in California. Maybe if it was, like, a spa slash salon or something, but it just seemed like they did hair. Could that be a throwback to like a more of a 50s thing, 60s thing? I really, I honestly, so listeners who know the history of salon and salon etiquette, please let us know. Is that a thing or was that just for the episode? Or is it just, just a thing in certain places, in shishi shops? I've never seen it. I don't think that my wife has ever experienced it, but we'd have to ask her. How about you, what Matt? What about you, Matt? You ever been to <laughs> ever been to a salon where you had to wear a robe i the the reason i was just being silent then um because my uh my other half went to a, a not too fancy salon today and did send me a photo while she was there so i was just checking the photo and no she was wearing her normal clothes with a lovely um wrap over the top w of it was there a so. lothario hairdresser nearby checking her out <laughs> i hope not <laughs> I, sh I shall have to find out. <laughs> no, I think it's a lot of ladies serving biscuits there. I, um, that's, that's what Ooh, I'm told. That sounds nice. That sounds like a double entendre. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hope that, I hope that lady that, that Sam didn't cut the hair of didn't pay anything. <laughs> He's like, why mess with perfect perfection? She's you're like, oh, genius. you're a genius. Like, don't pay them anything. You're cheating. Yeah, wouldn't you call yeah. it like, like, yeah, that's very funny, but let's, let's cut the shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I also liked um, Al's mustard yellow suit uh, with this amber shirt underneath uh, with a design and a golden tie. It was a pretty good look. Mm. Again, Jean-Pierre knocking Al's looks out of the park. Allison, you've sort of been the, the arbiter of the fashion for the show. Is, is this a new outfit or is it a blend of things we've seen before? I feel like he's worn the yellow suit before. He, he wore it in play ball. Again with play ball. I think that's the second play ball that we've gotten repeats of. We had a play ball repeat in Justice. Yeah. And now a play ball repeat in Permanent Wave. Yeah. Well, I think like now that they have a new set of outfits uh, starting um, with uh, the beginning of season four, like they have some more to play with. I think maybe they're using some of them more. But I could be talking out of my butt. I don't know. I think it's a mix of things that we've seen before. I know the golden tie has been used before. I, I don't remember if the, the shirt was in anything else but it might have been you're such a fan <laughs> <laughs> well i mean this is the only time this stuff is useful <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's just good to me that 
this episode did not sort of devolve into another weird mob drama. I'm just wondering, though, I mean, this does take a, a hard turn for Sam, because what is this now? Maybe the, and again, a very season two kind of thing where Sam kills. Mm -hmm. Is this the last time in the series that we see him actually pull a trigger? I'm I'm trying to think of any other episodes where he kills, and it's almost anachronistic at this point because he's evolved as such a good guy, and out of sort of a lot of the TV tropes that the series used to embrace. There's there's people that that die. There's people that he shoots. Yeah. 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 Still after this, hmm. I can name some examples that maybe we should cut out. But uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, I mean, but was that really? Yeah. Him? I, um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I, I don't think this is the last time Sam die uh, kills someone or. Uh, or they die unintentionally by his hand or defense or whatever. It is less frequent. You're it right. is less frequent, and this is the first time in quite a while I think we've yeah. seen something like that. So it just struck me as, as a hard turn for the episode and something that's a little bit more old school when it comes to Quantum Leap. All right, so um, you guys got any more notes, any more thoughts? Um, I have one very specific observation. And also, um, while, while we were talking earlier, I was checking out my notes on the clothes. And I think this is the first time that mustard shirt shows up, but it does come back in the plays, the thing and promise land. Nice. Nice. See, you got well, the, you the go. fashion categorized. Matt, you're a fan too. My goodness. Yeah. Who'd have thought? What other observations do you have? Uh, this is this is just a very very specific um, little note that I think this is the first time this season, post leap back, that Ziggy gets gendered. Oh. Um, Ziggy is referred to as a he, even though we now know Ziggy has uh, a female voice. Interesting. And that's something they continue throughout the whole rest of the season until the final episode, when he finally becomes a she. But yeah, this this was where they obviously made a, a conscious decision. Okay, we've been calling him a he the whole series. Then we had the voice. What are we going to do about this? And carried on with him being a he. Do you think that was even a discussion? Uh, probably not, <laughs> to be fair. I like to imagine the writer's room was a buzz for a couple of hours with <laughs> arguments, but no. It, it was probably in like the series Bible or something, right, about Ziggy, and maybe it just said he, and then the writers didn't know about the uh the she thing or the voice yeah this script might have been being written before deborah had been cast as the voice of ziggy yeah so they probably didn't care <laughs> was yeah. beverly on staff she only wrote a few episodes she wrote uh raped coming up great spontini hunting we will go permanent wave raped and the place the thing yes oh okay so it was a few more than i thought she wrote a hunting we will go uh-huh well, then she's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, yeah. <laughs> she does know how to write, like, interesting female characters, I think. Yes. Like, all of those I can think of interesting characters that that were women, that were in them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know, I never really thought about it, but but you're right. As, as specious as I thought their backstories were, or maybe their motivations were, I never thought that Laura or Chloe came off as particularly unbelievable. I just thought, that the, sometimes the, the the circumstances or or the histories they gave them were a little bit you know strained, but on the whole, I liked the dialogue and the interaction, especially Chloe. Do you have a car? Yes, the one you helped me buy. 
Oh. Frank, I'm beginning to wonder which one of us got hit in the head with the bullet. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little distracted. Can I borrow it? As long as I go with you. Chloe. Hey, she may be your girlfriend, but she's my connection to 50% off on Armani's suits. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were two different kinds of characters, and there was a nice contrast there. And I, I like, too, um, when you watch it back, knowing the twist... There are hints in there about Chloe that maybe you wouldn't think about as being twists or, or hints, I mean, because um, after she gets uh, shot in the head, like she's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe he would try and shoot me. She's pissed because her partner turned on her, not because, you know, otherwise just she can't believe some guy would try and shoot her. Do you think he turned on her or she just happened to be in the line of fire and it was unfortunate? Yeah, it, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he might have just been trying for someone else, but uh, it pissed her off. I don't know. I liked that she had she had funny lines even before you know that she's the villain. So was, I, I liked her. Yeah, it was good character overall, even though she was a murderess. Is that a thing? It is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're welcome, world. Well, one one more thing I wanted to point out. I want to note it. I don't want to be morbid about it. I just think it's sort of like uh, hanging in the air if if people recognize the name. But the whole Phil Hartman thing. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't notice that until and you kept on saying it. So I guessed it was part of the episode. But for me, it was just Phil's, and it did strike me as wait, how did I miss that? Yeah, that's yeah. that's um weird foreshadowing. Yes. Um, for people who don't know, uh, there's a famous comedian named Phil Hartman who uh, was later shot to death uh, after this episode aired. Not because of this episode, but, you know. Yeah, very funny guy and very big in the early 90s. Yeah, Phil Hartman's great. He uh, He's most uh, known for uh, SNL. Yep. And uh, that was uh, SNL when I was in college. So that was, you know, sort of like my SNL. It's funny. But I wonder, since he was so big then, if there was even any sort of eyebrow raising as to... It's weird that they use that name. Because there's there's usually regulations about using real people's names. Exactly, and that's that's yeah. what I was I was gonna go with. I was at a con, like one of my first cons, and it was Don's assistant, and I'm blanking on her name. Such a nice lady with glasses, and she said that Dean would always stand up when she entered the room, and she said that part of her job was to go through the scripts and um, look through like the L.A. telephone directory and make sure that none of the names matched anybody locally. Which I guess must have been a thankless task after a while. But it's also why you get such like weird milk toast names in TV that don't <laughs> mean anything, you know, like you'll have like a, a John Johnson or whatever, you know. Well, I think there's there's legal issues too with using someone's real name. So that's weird. Right. But to have such a prominent name. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not intentional. Yeah, I don't think they, they were thinking intentionally of it. I think maybe there was like a, just a brain fart or something, but... Unless this was some weird in-joke involving someone, like they knew him or something. Hmm. I guess. That's the only thing I can think of, because, yeah, it, I, I do think there are legal issues with doing that. It's just, it's weird how eerily close that is to real life. Yeah. So, listeners, if you're not familiar with Phil Hartman, I'm going to recommend you try to find Caveman Lawyer on YouTube. That was always my favorite <laughs> bit of his. Yeah, he was he was always great. Um, I also liked him in Pee Wee's Playhouse. He was one of the founders of that. I never watched it. Well, he's in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think uh, I have uh, said everything I have to say about Permanent Wave. Any final thoughts? Matt, why don't we start with you? 
Um, yeah, just same as I said at the top of the episode. Really, this is a this is a fun episode. I really like it. Yes, it has its flaws. Uh, the 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 penny loafer thing I just can't get past. <laughs> but it's not the only episode of Quantum Leap that suffers from some kind of jump to resolution. And uh, I I can completely overlook that. It's yeah, I, I love the episode. It's great. Hmm. How about you, Allison? Uh, it's a good episode. I like it, and it seems like everyone's really comfortable. Uh, Scott Bakula did a great job directing it. Um, I felt there were interesting characters and a genuine twist, which is uh, not something you often yes. find with their uh, whodunits. True, true. I will echo that. And while I don't think I'll ever say that I love this episode, um, I will say that it is a fair to middling episode of Quantum Leap that I don't mind. And <laughs> that is largely because I think it has a lot of really great moments in it. So overall, very enjoyable. Um, Might have been a little bit contrived, a little bit clunky, but worth watching nonetheless. All right, guys. Well, I, I didn't think we'd have that much to talk about with Permanent Wave, but here we are. We've, we've killed another hour talking about Quantum Leap. Who'd have thought? You, me, Matt, talking about Quantum Leap and taking an hour to do so on this minutia. But uh, we are going to be uh, throwing to a break now. And uh, when we get back, we will be going to some more listener feedback. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll catch you on the other side. everybody this is sean ray and john irons and we're the hosts of cosmic potato the super fan talk podcast we're a show that has a little bit of everything yeah we talk about movies and tv and cartoons entertainment news and every show has a different theme that's right we might discuss anything from our favorite bad movies to who would win in a fight between c3po and the tin man from the wizard of oz yeah yeah that was episode 41 a classic uh, you can download that episode and all of our other episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, we're on Podcast Addict and, of course, on our website, CosmicPotato.com. It's special guests and movie news and geeky nerddom, nerdy geekery and lightsabers and Time Lords and Ninja Turtles all the way down. So check out uh, Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. This is Donald P. Belisario, and you are listening to the quantum leap podcast. Hey, hey, Matt. Hey, 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 everyone. We're back. Um, uh, Matt, should I let everybody in on our little secret? Uh, I think you should. Probably. It gets awkward otherwise. Um, <laughs> they, they might notice. <laughs> yeah, they might. Well, this is just a little bit of a behind-the-scenes uh, peek into the making of a podcast. Oftentimes, when we record the main body of the show, we don't have any feedback to record, so we'll do feedback at a later date. And we all get together, and then I splice it in seamlessly so you never know when we cut to feedback and when we cut to the uh, pre-recorded stuff. Anyway, I think it's seamless. I do a pretty good job, right? It's man? the magic of editing. 
The match. I even edited you into one because we had some outtakes from when we first started, and it made it seem like you were there and you weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> just, just cut together the words. No one will notice. We did. We did. That was great feedback. <laughs> <laughs> but um, events have conspired uh, to trump us on that because things have exploded in the last week. And we have to comment on it, but unfortunately, Allison is not available tonight, so it's just going to be me and Matt soldiering on. And then at some point after this feedback is over, we will cut you back into the pre-taped portion of this show. So um, first things first, Matt, um, I know that we have some big news. We'll get to it, but there's even bigger news vis-a-vis the Quantum Leap podcast. Oh, go on. Do tell. We have a new Patreon patron. <gasps> we do. Everybody. Yay. yay. I know we're clapping for Allison, too. Yes. Yes. Our new Patreon patron is Morgan Felden, and he joined at the $20 producer level. Is that not incredible? Fabulous. Thank you, Morgan. Woohoo! Yay. Yeah, and being at the $20 producer level means that Morgan gets a regular producer credit at the end of each show. So you will be hearing Morgan's name up beside luminaries such as Hayden McQueenie and Albert Mark Burge. And I think we forgot Juan. Juan, too. Juan Mural. So, Morgan, uh, welcome to the Inner Circle. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. It's just so gratifying to me that we are steadily growing our patron base. I hope people are liking what we're doing. I guess they are. And they're taking notice and, and they're contributing so that we can keep doing this on a semi-regular basis, right? Yeah. It's flattering. Yeah. The thing is, though, Morgan actually pledged about six weeks ago, and it was right when we were releasing the Justice episode, so I didn't have time to put it in that episode, and uh, I've been a little bit delayed putting this episode out, so I wrote to apologize for our delay, and um, Morgan wrote back to me on Patreon. Matt, you want to hear what he wrote? Yeah, I do. He said, I'm happy to support the show and not too particular about which episode gets the credit. I'm actually working with someone who has had a long gestating project to create a replica of the fourth and fifth season handling prop. It's been a long time coming as a hobby project, but it's so close. Challenging but fun project to be sure. Hope you are well. Now, that's an amazing kind of little hobby to pursue, isn't it? Yeah. Have have you been following this? I have not. Has he had some kind of, uh, like, tutorial or, or progress? Yeah, because I, I love how he calls this a hobby project, but this guy, he's, he's on Facebook. Um, oh, and it's, it's called something like Replica Props. Um, and he does these professional standard prop replicas, and they're stunning. And he's been posting uh, in-progress pictures and videos for the last couple of years. And yes, it's a hobby project, but I don't think that sums it up properly. It's looking stunning. And there's a lot of us that are uh, itching for it to finish so that we can we can all get our own handlings. But yeah, they look really exciting. They're, they look the part. And um, I think Morgan's been contributing the sound effects to them. So they'll actually, you can hit them and, and it'll make all the, the whines and wails. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Fantastic. I want to figure out a way to do that for my smartphone. Yes. Just to annoy people (laughs) and see which ones catch on because then I can tell them to listen to the podcast. But, you know, it's funny you say that now because I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures of that replica on the Facebook feed and maybe even you commenting on it. Yes, it's, it's replica props. Replica props is the page. Yeah, I didn't know it was Morgan. So thank you, Morgan, once again for um, supporting us. And we will look forward to the progress of the fourth and fifth season handling prop. 
please keep us surprised of your progress. And, and you know, Matt, Morgan's patronage has boosted us over the $30 level on Patreon. And you know what that means... <gasps> do we finally get to do it? <laughs> we finally get to do it. I'm excited and scared in equal measure. You're excited and scared. Yes, be afraid. Be very afraid because <laughs> it's time for Allison, Matt, and I to do the long-promised Quantum Leap podcast movie nights crossover with an audio commentary of that craptacular film, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> and Matt, have you have you restrained? Have 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 I- have you have not watched it, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's been surprisingly easy to avoid watching a film that you keep telling me is terrible. Um, yeah, yeah, I've managed. Well, good. Good on you, because I want to get this... Uh, you know, it's going to be fresh for all of us. I don't know the last time any of us saw this, but I'm just very glad that we'll be able to do it now that we have the uh, the, the, the Patreon level met. And that, of course, will be... Um, available first exclusively to Movie Night subscribers who support Allison's show, and then we'll cycle it out to our patronage feed on Patreon, and then it'll become available on Allison's Movie Night's channel as well. So we're, we're really looking forward to that. I wish Allison was here to comment on it, but I'm sure she's thrilled in spirit. I know she'll be very excited. <laughs> and uh, what what excites me is that means we're also that much closer to the table read of my spec script paradox that I wrote in college. That's the Quantum Leap episode that got me into writing mm. Quantum Leap. Um, and uh, what are we at? Um, we're about, I think, $39 a month now when all said and done, when we hit that Ooh, $50 level. So we're close. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of close. We're only about 11 bucks away. So we hit that $50 level, and we will be doing a as-live recorded table read of my script paradox. And if you guys don't know what that is, a table read is what they traditionally do in Hollywood when a project is moving forward or um, before they go on to like the set to record or to tape a series or film anything. They will do a table read beforehand What all of the principal actors who have speaking parts get together and just go through their lines as if they were doing it um, in one fluid take. So that's what we're going to attempt uh, with the staff of the Quantum Leap podcast and the crew and uh, the hosts. So you'll have that to look forward to if you become a Patreon supporter. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Once there, you'll see the membership tiers that we have. There's a $5 level, a $10 level, and a $20 level that Morgan was so generous to contribute at. But that doesn't mean you have to do those. You can contribute $1, $2, $3, $100, whatever you feel most comfortable with. So that link again is patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. And now, Matt, let's just talk about what I know everybody wants us to be talking about. And uh, oh my God, certain little something happened in the last week that has caused our Facebook feed to just explode. <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. Where did this come from? So some video footage appeared on Reddit, courtesy of a, a mysterious benefactor, Leaper 1953, which seems to be, well, it, it doesn't seem to be, it, it is the the very alternate ending that we've talked about so many times on this show. How exciting to finally see it, and how exciting that it's it's out there in the public domain for everyone to see. Yeah, I, w- I was uh, floored when I mm. saw that. And it's like, I, f- I feel like, uh, as a Quantum Leap fan, this is a gift. This is such, yep. a, such an incredible find. Um, whoever posted it, thank you very much. But yes, if you guys you. don't know what we're talking about... 
at the end of the Mirror Image script, the final episode of Quantum Leap, there was a little coda, and it involves Al and Beth back at the project talking about finding Sam in the future. And for the longest time, Don Belisario has denied that they ever taped it. He he didn't even <laughs> go so far as to say that that script is fan fiction. He, he said it was fan fiction. And, you know, there's there's original copies of the script out there that don't appear to be uh, photocopies or mock-ups or anything. I've got one of them. Um, and then the, the shooting schedule showed up, which I've, I've also got directly from Richard Hurd, which had the date in this that this was recorded. Uh, Alison found the, the negatives mm-hmm. uh, last year, for some, the, the photos taken on the, behind the scenes. Um, so we were getting pretty damn close to knowing that this was definitely filmed. And lo and behold, um, oh my God. And then, yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is just, this story just keeps evolving. And now we have the ultimate yeah. proof. And okay, guys, rest assured, we will be doing a special episode on this, much like we did Allison's discovery of the behind the scenes mm-hmm. photos. So stay tuned for that. Um, it's, it's sort of taken shape. We're reaching out to some people and it's, um, it's, it's in the works. All right. I have Hayden working on it. I have I'll be working on it. I have me working on it. So <laughs> we're going to make sure to do something that is um, on par with the discovery of this magnitude. We're going to try to get you something that uh, is more than just watching it and commenting. So like I said, stay tuned. Even more good stuff is to come. So uh, wow. yeah, isn't that, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm really sad that Allison's not here because yeah. I mean, this, she was sort of the, the, the catalyst for all this. Yeah, she she's what's got everyone talking about this over the last uh, over the last year. You know, perhaps she was the one that uh, all, all this conversation that's happened might have been what led to uh, to Leap in nineteen fifty three stepping forward. That's what I'm thinking. It might have shaken something loose in the zeitgeist. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but for what whatever, uh, it's happened, and it'll be great to get uh, Alison on the call to uh, to talk about that some more. And yeah, what what an exciting time to be a Quantum Leap fan. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You must be especially in a tizzy because now you have to completely rejigger Beyond the Mirror. <laughs> I know you're completely rejiggering it as, you know, as a matter of course, but I mean, what does this do to, to the book? Well, there's a few pages that uh, <laughs> that need updating. There's a lot in there that, um, you know, at the time that we published, uh, we still, uh, Alison's discovery hadn't happened. Uh, I didn't have the shooting schedule. So there was a lot of, uh, well, we think this happened. This is rumoured to have happened. And all we really had for definite was that script that Don Belisario said was a fake. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great to it's great to have been here during all these discoveries and seeing the research coming alive over the last year or so and seeing things move from, well, probably and possibly and all this supposition to, yep, here's, here's the video evidence. This, this is what happened. Here it is. And um, if you haven't fantastic. seen it by some weird fluke, uh, you can find <laughs> it on our website at quantumleappodcast.com. But even easier, just go to our Facebook page. It's um, facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. And there's a link for it, several links for it up there. Matt, didn't you do something special with it? Yeah, so there's um, so you'll see the, the raw footage, which includes the clapperboard and, um, and and a couple of little bits at the start and end. But you'll also see an alternate version that I've posted where I've, I've tried to edit together a reconstruction of how it would have looked uh, based on the original script because we know, for example... Uh, Georgia was going to keep running 
through the scene transition right through to the end of the episode. Uh, So I've edited that in and a couple of other little bits and pieces just to make it a touch more authentic and, and more watchable. But so, so you've got. If you go to the Facebook page, you'll see both options there. It's really good work, really good work, and thank you, thank you to uh, you, and thank you to Leaper. What is it? Nineteen fifty three. Nineteen fifty three. Leaper nineteen fifty three for um, unleashing this on the world and giving mm. us something new to talk about. Um, we're always finding something new to talk about. Isn't that amazing? So for a show this old, yeah, it really is. It really is. So um, I also want to again thank Morgan, and I want to encourage everybody to tell us what you think of the new footage there are many ways you can do so you can contact us by phone at 707-847-6682 you can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com you can follow us on facebook and comment there at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast you can tweet us or instagram us at quantumleappod or like morgan you can go on the patreon feed and support us at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast so, um, Matt, do you think we did okay with that, Allison? Yeah, it, it seemed like we were missing something, but um, but hopefully we did her proud, and um, <laughs> it, it, it'll be great to have her back for the next recording session. Yes, it will, and we now will splice you into the pre-recorded segment of the show right here. All right, guys. Well, I mean, a really great discussion about Permanent Wave. Who'd have thought? Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, once again, season four strikes. Um, next episode, maybe not so lighthearted, maybe not so much to joke about. Matt, what's coming up next? Uh, it's another episode by Beverly Bridges, and it's raped. Everything's going to be okay. It's all over. You did just fine. Multiple contusions, vaginal perineal tears, perineal lacerations. Oh, I I don't think that... She's still dazed from the attack. It's going to be okay. Just give it a little more time. You folks all done with her? Oh, no, not again. Again? Have you been raped before? All right, I am really excited to be talking about Raped. It's a weird milestone for me, not only in my Quantum Leap fandom, but in my career in general, in in my writing life. Mm. Some of you guys undoubtedly heard the story of your longtime listeners of the podcast, but I can't wait to get into it again in broader context, especially speaking about it with you two. So until then, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll talk to you next time, everyone. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television.
The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. The new patron is named Morgan Feldman, and Morgan joined at the $20 producer level. Isn't that uh, incredible? It's Feldman. You said Feldman. Did I say Feldman? Like Marty yeah. Feldman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easy mistake. Okay. <laughs> but bless him, he's paying, so maybe... <laughs> there you go. This will make the outtake real, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> You're a good sport, Morgan.